Section 8 of Other People's Lives. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K. Hand. Other People's Lives by Rosa Nochette Carey. Book 3, The Two Mothers. Chapter 4, Penelope's Web. The kindly folk of Sandalins were greatly excited when they heard of Penelope Crump's good fortune. Madame was going up to town for the winter, and Penelope was to accompany her as a sort of humble friend and companion. In the spring, Mrs. Compton hoped to meet her son in Paris, and would probably go to Venice with him, and Kingsden would be empty until May. The vicar, when he met Penn in the village, stopped and congratulated her warmly. "'You are in luck, Penelope,' he said kindly. "'Mrs. Compton is a staunch friend.' the duck pond is widening into a lake you see don't forget what benjamin franklin says vessels large may venture more but little boats should keep near shore and then the vicar who could read hearts like books and had long guessed the girl's secret unhappiness and discontent smiled at her and bade her be wise as a serpent and harmless as a little dove when the news reached Miss Batesby, she put on her old hat and went down to the bakery with the ostensible purpose of ordering almond gingerbread, but she forgot all about her errand when she saw Miriam. "'What is this I hear about Penelope?' she began in her most incisive voice, and the slight staccato that she affected when anything excited her. "'When Mrs. Catlin told me just now, when I went up to the vicarage to get a grocery ticket for those poor bangers, I could not believe my ears.' "'Don't tell me that Penelope Crump can be so selfish,' I said to Mrs. Catlin. "'I have known her since she was so high—here Miss Batesby made an appropriate gesture—when she was a curly-haired mite in the infant school. She may have her faults, but ingratitude was never one of them, and would it not be rank ingratitude to leave Miriam Earle, who has been a second mother to her all these years?' Miriam, who had been rolling out paste energetically during this speech, looked up with her quick bird-like glance, and shook her head. "'I am not denying I have been a mother to Penn,' she said simply, "'and that I love her next to my own dear lad. Penn is a good lass, and has always given me a daughter's service, but mothers have to part with their children sometimes, for their own good. See here, Miss Batesby,' she continued, grasping the rolling-pin more firmly, "'the girl has been needing a change, sadly. She misses Felix, and Sandalins is over quiet for her.' So when Madame came down and talked to us, and said how much she wanted Penn to go up London with her, and what a comfort she would be to her with Trimmer away, of course I could not refuse. Oh, have you not heard? As Miss Batesby pricked up her ears at this, that good-for-nothing brother of Mrs. Trimmer, who has been such a trouble to her, is dying, and her sister-in-law has begged that she come to them at once. They live near Perth. So Madame said that it was no use going so far for a week or two, and that she would spare her for six weeks or even two months if Penelope would take her place. It is not only the change for Pen, but to oblige Madame, so I was bound to say yes. That was very kind of you, Miriam, but you will miss her sadly. The winter is coming, you see, and you were never much given to visiting with your neighbors. Perhaps you are right there, Miss Batesby, returned Miriam cheerfully. I was never one for gossip, and Pen takes after me, but I am always glad to do a good turn for my neighbors. It is no use pretending that I shall not miss Pen, for it is lightsome and pleasant to hear her moving about the cottage or singing over her work. But I am hale and hearty, thank God, and I have never feared my own company. 
my lad and pen are both famous letter writers so i shall do very well was there anything you were needing this morning miss batesby and at this plain hint miss batesby recalled her errand mrs compton's shrewd brains and benevolent heart had certainly concocted a clever scheme for penelope's benefit she had grasped the idea in a moment of inspiration felix must see his sweetheart under different environment the bakery was not a satisfactory background penelope's intelligence must be cultivated and turned to account she must be educated to keep pace with felix the scheme appealed most forcibly to mrs compton's complex nature the woman was so dissatisfied with her own environment so disappointed in her own aspirations and ambitions would find a new and absorbing interest in smoothing and determining the girl's future the hobby might be a costly one but philanthropy is seldom cheap and if a thing is worth doing it is better to do it well mrs compton was not one for half measures and she never faced trouble the moment she regarded pen in the light of a protege she began to feel a warm interest in the gentle sad-eyed girl and to regard her with affection it was rather curious certainly that trimmer's brother should play into her hands in this way it gave her such a real pretext for desiring pen's services at once neither miriam nor pen could have refused to assist madame in such a strait even when pen would have held back in her unselfish devotion to her aunt miriam urged her forward you must not be ungrateful dear heart observed the good soul if madame needs you pen you must go at once and then mrs trimmer had come down to the bakery to plead her mistress's case i am just torn in half mrs earle she said wiping her eyes i am bound to go to poor joe for he is my mother's son and the youngest of us though he has been a thorn in my side ever since he grew up but i am not going to cast it up against him now he is on his dying bed poor lad if only his wife were not such a feckless creature and there are six children too and they have buried three don't i know that it is my duty to go and stop a bit with them but it is the mistress i am thinking about she has never been used to wait on herself and that susan is just no good at all and then pen had promised to do her best for mrs compton pen was a little hazy about things she had no idea what duties would be required of her to replace trimmer and brush and dress madame's hair and keep her clothes in order would hardly bring her nearer to felix but when they reached the flat at westminster mrs compton unfolded her scheme and pen's eyes glistened with grateful tears as she listened madame would be very much obliged if pen would give her a little help night and morning as long as trimmer remained away but she must not think that she was in trimmer's position trimmer is my maid penelope she said kindly but i intend you to be my companion i shall expect you to share my meals and dine with me when you are at leisure here mrs compton paused a little mysteriously i hope you will always sit with me penelope looked at her in a startled way in my duties she faltered and then mrs compton laughed and patted her hand kindly your first duty will be to get some pretty frocks and hats was the unexpected answer sandalin's millinery will hardly do in town your next will be to work hard at your lessons i am going to find some good masters for you it is too late to think of doing much with music but you have a pretty voice that deserves to be cultivated and then pen's eyes widened and the excited flush came to her cheek as she heard that she was to study french and elocution and english literature and to attend a deportment and dancing class no penelope not one word she finished as the girl tried to speak remember your promise to trust me implicitly and put yourself in my hands for a year i am an autocrat and shall exact a strict obedience even if for a time i forbid followers 
and then Penn's heart sank a little, for Mrs. Compton's manner and the meaning tone in her voice told that, for a time at least, Felix's visits would not be encouraged. If the truth must be told, Felix was a good deal perplexed by this sudden move. He was not at all sure he approved of it. His mother would be lonely without Penn's companionship, and though Miriam wrote an energetic contradiction to this, he still remained unconvinced. He had not forgiven Mrs. Compton either for turning her back on him that morning at the bakery. Felix was thin-skinned and sensitive to small rebuffs, and he hated the idea that any of his belongings should be beholden to her. But when Penn's letter gave him a hint not to seek her out for a time, his wrath fairly boiled over. "'Why do you not tell me plainly that Mrs. Compton objects to my visits?' he wrote back. "'But she need not be afraid. I am not the sort of fellow to obtrude myself where I am not wanted. As for taking you out for a walk,' for poor Penn had kindly suggested this, we are so busy at the hospital just now that it is impossible to make plans beforehand. I am not likely to have a free Sunday for three or four weeks to come. Somehow it strikes me that we shall be as far apart in London as though you had remained at Sandilands. Penelope was so much depressed by this letter that Mrs. Compton tried to comfort her by explaining her reasons for keeping Felix away. My dear Penelope, she said kindly as they sat together one evening, it is no want of goodwill to either you or Mr. Earle that has induced me to lay an embargo on his visits for the present. I must tell you sincerely that I want him to miss you a little, and then when you next meet, he will see you under new conditions. If I only could be sure that he would not forget me, faltered Penn rather piteously, but Mrs. Compton only laughed at this remark. Oh, Penelope, you foolish child, she said indulgently. How can you be so morbid? Felix is a good fellow. He will never be unfaithful to his sweetheart. He has not really cooled. Only hard work and London life have absorbed him. Some of his views have widened. When he comes down to Sandilands, he unconsciously compares you to the girls he has met in town, and he finds it a little difficult to adjust his ideas. That is where I want to help you both. Penelope was silent. In her heart, she was not convinced. The terror of the Robertson girls, and Laura Robertson in particular, was upon her but her shy reticence made her hide her jealous pain. "'My dear girl,' went on Madame, with unusual solemnity, "'the first duty we women have to learn is self-sacrifice for those we love best. "'If I had only learnt to efface myself twenty years ago, "'I should be a happier woman now.' "'And here a sudden wan look of a past trouble crossed her handsome face. "'Madame's far-sighted policy and worldly wisdom could not convince Penn.' but she was submissive and docile by nature, and a strong will easily guided her, but for a time she chafed and fretted sorely under these unnatural restrictions. She would have worked and worried herself into a fever before long, but for one sentence in Felix's next letter. What do you think, he wrote, I am going to a wedding and have invested in a frock coat for the occasion. I forget if I told you that Laura Robertson was engaged to Dr. Carruthers, but anyhow they are to be married next Wednesday. I hear Florence, the second one, is just engaged to Hazlitt, one of our fellows. When Ped read this, her eyes brightened, and she was so cheerful and animated that evening that Mrs. Compton longed to question her, but she had the good sense to refrain. Penelope had been more than two months in town before she and Felix met, and then it was by accident. There was to be a concert at St. James's Hall, and Felix, who had a free afternoon and hardly knew how to turn it to the best account, made up his mind that he would go and hear Signor Botticini. The hall was rather crowded, but after a time Felix's attention was drawn to a young lady who sat some seats before him. A respectable woman in black was on one side of her, and an old gentleman, evidently a stranger, on the other. 
Something in the turn of her head and her fair hair reminded him of Penn. And then he laughed at himself, as though that fashionable coil of hair and a little close velvet hat could belong to his simple village lass. But Penn's hair was quite as sunny and pretty, he thought, with a staunch determination to do his sweetheart justice. And she had just the same little shell-like ears. If she could only have dressed well, he continued discontentedly, but that eternal grey stuff gown of hers. One of these days I will buy her a silk dress and choose it myself. One of these days. That was always how Felix ended his daydreams. Poor lad. That debt of his to Mr. Burnaby loomed before his eyes night and day. It was not until the concert ended and the hall began to empty that the fair-haired incognito turned around, and to Felix's intense astonishment, it was actually Penelope herself. She stood quite still with a lovely flush on her face as he impatiently strode over the intervening benches that were between them. Mrs. Trimmer was beside her. Madame had a headache and had stayed at home. "'Oh, Felix, how glad I am to see you again!' exclaimed Penn, oblivious of everything but her lover. But Felix, who noticed curious glances in their direction, only tucked her hand comfortably under his arm. "'Let's get out of this,' he said with masculine brevity. "'We can talk better outside.' What did you think of Botticini? Was he not glorious, Pen? And Felix's eyes looked bright with excitement. I thought I was in heaven, returned Pen, yielding to enthusiastic feelings, for once in my life. I never imagined anything earthly could be so sweet. What a grand thing it must be to be a musician. And then her hand pressed Felix's arm timidly. Do not hurry so, she whispered. The carriage will be outside, and I shall have no time to say anything and then Felix's footsteps slackened at once. "'I'm going to spend Christmas with Mother,' he said abruptly, "'but I shall only have two days' holidays. "'Look here, Pen,' and Felix's voice grew a little peremptory. "'I am getting sick of being shunted off like this, "'and I am not going to stand it any longer. "'You can tell Mrs. Compton that you belong to me, "'even if you are in her service.' "'And here Felix's mustache took a naughty twist. "'And I mean to stand on my rights.' Directly I get back and have a free afternoon, I shall just wire to you to be ready for me, and I will take you into the Abbey, or to the Natural History Museum, or somewhere where we can get a shelter and a talk. Oh, Felix, how nice that will be! And Penn's soft eyes positively shone with happiness. Felix had never been quite so nice to her before. It was not what he said, for they had no time for more than these few brief sentences, but it was his manner and the way he looked at her, the new deference that seemed to mix with the old affectionate interest. He looked at me as though he did not quite recognize me, she said artlessly as she related her encounter with Felix. And Mrs. Compton smiled, well pleased. It is beginning to work, she said to herself. No doubt he thought her prettier and more attractive. Nothing suits her better than that little velvet toque. I noticed several people turned round to look at her last time. So you mean to call and take her out, do you, friend Felix? but we shall see about that. Penelope's web is not spun yet. And that night, as Trimmer brushed out her mistress's hair, still as black and glossy as Mac's wing, she puzzled herself how she could best counteract Felix's little plan. Fortune favors the brave. Mrs. Compton's Machiavellian policy was strengthened by an unexpected ally. Jack wrote that he expected to reach Paris soon after the new year, and Penn was distressed to hear that Madame had telegraphed for rooms, and that she and Trimmer were to pack up at once. "'But Felix?' objected Pen. "'Felix must wait until we get back again,' returned Madame in an unusually bracing voice. "'My dear Penelope, do be reasonable. 
You have only just seen him, and my dear boy has been away for eighteen months. And then poor Pan felt herself very selfish and held her peace. But in her own room she wept long and sadly over her disappointment. She wrote such a pathetic note to Felix to bid him good-bye that he was quite touched and even a little conscience-stricken, and wrote back with much warmth. Felix often thought of Penn as he sat over his books in his dull lodgings. Sometimes, when wearied by midnight vigils, he would put back his head and close his eyes for a brief rest. It was strange how Penn's face, as he saw it that afternoon, haunted him. The sweet, artless blush on her cheek, and the gleam of sunny hair under the little velvet hat. It was Penn, the same dear, simple Penn of old, and yet she was changed. She has grown somehow, he would mutter to himself. Mrs. Compton's society has improved her. She must be giving her a good salary, or Penn would not be able to dress so well. But in this, Felix was wrong. There was no salary paid to Penelope. Mrs. Compton was doing better for her than that. Penn had the best of masters. Her wardrobe was renovated. You are giving me everything, the girl said to her one day almost sorrowfully, and how little I am doing for you in return. You are doing far more for me than you know, was Mrs. Compton's reply. But though Penn looked puzzled at this reply, she did not explain herself. How was she to tell the child that she had furnished her with a new interest and object in life? That her days were no longer eaten up by ennui and vacuity? That winter had been the most peaceful that she had spent since her husband's death, and her anticipations of seeing her boy again added to her happiness? Her spirits were almost high when they reached Paris and settled themselves into a charming suite of apartments, and though disappointment awaited her, and Jack was unable to join her for six weeks, the time passed pleasantly in showing Penelope the sights of Paris, taking her to picture galleries and theaters and concerts, and superintending her lessons with her French and singing mistresses. After all, Jack came a day earlier than he was expected. Mrs. Compton and Trimmer had driven out to make some purchases, and Penelope was practicing her scales in the big, empty salon. Penn always enjoyed these hours of solitude. Her voice seemed to ring out more truly and to reverberate more clearly through the rooms. How gorgeous these apartments seemed to Penn, with the red velvet chairs and couches, the gilt clocks and girandoles, the pots of gay tulips and hyacinth. Penn slept in a wonderful brass bedstead with grand tent-like curtains drawn round it. The wardrobe was black and polished, and there was a marble-topped table and armchairs. Only the small ewer and basin and the tiny fringed towels struck her as somewhat incongruous, but Madame soon brought her English customs into vogue. Do, re, mi, fa, sol, sang Penn and then she stared as a cold black nose was laid confidingly on her lap. The sight of a fox-terrier bewildered her. "'Come here, you rascal. How dare you interrupt a lady!' exclaimed a familiar voice. And Penn, turning round hastily, saw a thick-set, sturdy young man in a fur coat, whose bronzed face wore rather a perplexed expression. "'I beg your pardon. Have I made a mistake?' asked Jack, with a trace of anxiety in his voice. "'Is not Mrs. Compton staying here?' Number three, Rue de Luxembourg? That was surely the address. And then Penn rose, blushing and somewhat distressed. Oh, no, you have made no mistake, Mr. Compton, but your mother did not expect you until tomorrow, and she and Trimmer have gone for a drive. Oh, how vexed she will be. But she will be back. Oh, yes, she will be back for our English five o'clock tea. Nothing will induce Madame to miss that. Madame? By Jove, I believe you are Penelope Crump. I could not be sure of it before, but Madame settles it. And here Jack caught hold of Penn's hand and shook them heartily. How is Felix getting on? Is he still at Guy's? And Miriam, my word, if I only had some of her gingerbread now. Tell me about everybody, the vicar and Miss Merrick and... 
Oh, yes, I know about dear Miss Patience. For it was only the previous summer that Miss Patience had gone home. Do you know, Pen? Please excuse me, old custom, but you see, of course, it must be a Miss Crump now, that though Ben Bolt and I have been round the world, we think there is no place like Sandalin's. This was the speech that reached Mrs. Compton's ears as she hastily crossed the anteroom. The concierge had told her that Monsieur, her son, had arrived. The little hall was all littered up with portmanteaus, gun cases, heavy boxes, and bundles of wraps and waterproof coverings. A mongoose was making clock-like sounds as he peered through the bars of his cage, and a small tawny monkey chained to the umbrella stand was holding out its tiny paws to every passer-by with an expression of woe in its melancholy eyes. Oh, Jack, Jack! And then Ben Bolt barked lustily. And Jack, with a sudden flush on his face, put his arms round the excited and sobbing woman who clung to him so convulsively. Mother, darling mother, do not cry so, he said in a choked voice. I will never leave you again in this way. It has been awfully jolly, and on the whole, Ben Bolt and I have had a good time, but there is no place like home. And then, as Madame looked into her boy's honest eyes, she knew that Jack had returned to her unchanged. End of section 8